afternoon, congregation. A warm welcome is extended to all visitors who are worshiping with us today, as well as those online. We pray that we might be blessed as we worship the Lord together, and that he might be glorified in this. Council has the following announcements. Uh, first of all, Jerry and Ed Weisterveld have requested an attestation to the Canadian Reformed Church at Aldergrove. And second, the offerings today will be collected for the work of the deacons, both locally and abroad. Next week, we hope to collect specifically for Gateway of Hope, which is an emergency shelter and meal center in Langley. If you are able, please rise. How's that? Is that better? Well, sort of. Our call to worship this afternoon comes from Psalm 89, where the psalmist writes, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known throughout all generations. Congregation, where does our help come from? Our help is in the name of the Lord. Our God greets us with his blessing, grace to you, and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. Let us sing of how the church, as symbolized by the city of God, is protected by him, and in turn offers him praise, using the words of Psalm 48, verse 1. our Heavenly Father in congregational prayer and ask him for a blessing over the opening of his word. Most gracious God, eternal Father, we thank you for your love and grace 
shown to us in the sending of your Son, in his sacrifice for us, in in you renewing us by the power of your Spirit, in you drawing us right now into your presence. We thank you for the time of worship that we may now spend together. Lord, we pray for the enlightenment of your Spirit as we open your word, as we draw instruction from it in line with the confessions of the church. Bless us as we take it in with our minds and with our hearts. Bless the explanation of this word, and may it be done in a clear and applicable manner. Have us appreciate your grace towards us in strengthening our faith by the use of sacraments. And may we live our lives in the security of belonging to Christ. Hear us, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. The sermon today is based on what we confess in Lord's Day 25. So in connection with this, we're going to read some passages from Matthew and also a selection from the Belgic Confession. So the first passage is from Matthew 26, and it deals with the institution of the Lord's Supper. That's Matthew 26, starting at verse 26. Matthew 26, verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread... And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. In my Father's kingdom. Thus far from Matthew 26, let's turn to Matthew 28, the very end of the book, and we'll read from verses 16 through 20. This, of course, is the Great Commission and mentions the sacrament of baptism. That's Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then let's take up our books of praise and turn to the Belgic Confession. And let's read together Article 33 of the Belgic Confession. That's on page 513 of the uh, books of praise in your pew. So the Belgic Confession, Article 33, reads as follows, and it's entitled, The Sacraments, 
We believe that our gracious God, mindful of our insensitivity and weakness, has ordained sacraments to seal his promises to us and to be pledges of his goodwill and grace towards us. He did so to nourish and sustain our faith. He has added these to the word of the gospel to represent better to our external senses both what he declares to us in his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts. Thus he confirms to us the salvation which he imparts to us. Sacraments are visible signs and seals of something internal and invisible, by means of which God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the signs are not void and meaningless so that they deceive us. For Jesus Christ is their truth. Apart from him, they would be nothing. Moreover, we are satisfied with the number of sacraments which Christ, our Master, has instituted for us, namely two, the sacrament of baptism and the Holy Supper of Jesus Christ. In preparation for the sermon, let's turn also in our books of praise to hymn 52, stanzas 1 and 2, and there we are reminded of the church's one foundation being Christ, and that he also recreates her by the water and the word. That's hymn 52, stanzas 1 and 2. So it looks like we're going to go with this mic, so I will do my best to project and slow down. Feel free to uh, let me know if it's not working. The uh, sermon that I'm about to share with you was prepared by Reverend Carlo Jansen. It was preached earlier this year. After the sermon, we'll sing our Amen with hymn 64, all the verses of hymn 64. Dear children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, and any guests among us. 
Earlier in our journey through the Catechism, we were reminded of the biblical teaching that only those who belong to Christ and accept all his merits with true faith are saved. And this leads to several questions. First, what is true faith? That's answered in Lord's Day 7. What is the content of faith? What has to be believed? That's Lord's Days 8 through 22. What's the benefit of faith? That's Lord's Days 23 and 24. And finally, where does this faith come from? And that's Lord's Days 25 through 31, including the Lord's Day under consideration this afternoon. Lord's Day 25 has us confess that the Holy Spirit is the source of faith and that he works this faith in our hearts by the preaching of the word and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. Now, the Heidelberg Catechism doesn't go into any depth on the word. That's understandable, as the matter has already been covered in Lord's Day 6, question and answer 19. Having said that, it is Reverend Jansen's practice to insert a sermon or two on the doctrine of the Bible as we confess it in Belgic Confession, Articles 3 through 7. And because of this, it means that this particular sermon won't actually touch on the word as the source of faith. It is important, though, and this is the subject of this sermon, to recognize the difference between the word and the sacraments as outlined in Lord's Day 25. The word is the instrumental source of faith. The word is the means the Spirit uses to bring people to faith. The sacraments are not a source of faith. Sacraments do not bring you to faith. The sacraments, as we confess, strengthen what is already there. They confirm believers in their faith. One might say that the sacrament confirms us in our comfort, in our security of being Christ's, and thus being saved. And so we come to the theme of the sermon, which you can also find in your liturgy sheet. We are instructed in God's word with this theme, the sacraments confirm my security in Christ. Once again, the sacraments confirm my security in Christ. And under this theme, we'll consider four things. First, the nature of sacraments. Second, their function. Third, their substance. And finally, their benefit. So first, let's consider the nature of sacraments. What are they about? The sacraments of the church have this air of mystery to them. This was already so in the early church, for the sacraments were often celebrated in closed ceremonies. Only believers were allowed to be present. Outsiders would not be there. And thus, it wasn't quite clear to people who were not Christians as to what actually happened in those ceremonies. You can probably imagine what people were thinking when they heard that it had something to do with eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. Moreover, in Roman times especially, other organizations often involved semi-religious rites that were just as mysterious. 
And some of those did involve the drinking of real blood. Even today, some groups still have mysterious rituals. Think of the Mormons or the Masonic Lodge. This mysterious aura is also understandable given the term that was used for the rites of baptism and Lord's Supper. In the Eastern Church, think of the Eastern Orthodox churches, the word used is mysteries, which is very similar to the Greek word mysterion. In the Western Church, think of the Roman Catholic Church and, in general, the Protestant traditions, the word sacrament is used. That was the word used in the old Latin translation for the Greek word mysterion. For yes, the word mysterion is found in the Bible, though not with reference to baptism and Lord's Supper. They began to be called mysteries or sacraments around the beginning of the second century after Christ. But as I said, the word mysterion is found in the Bible. It's used by the Apostle Paul a number of times. For example, in 1 Timothy 3, Paul describes the truths regarding Christ and God's salvation as the great mystery. In 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection of the body at the return of Christ is called a mystery. And it is appropriate to see baptism in the Lord's Supper as mysteries, for they signify and seal the mysteries of the gospel. The word mystery expresses the reality that something can be described, but not completely understood and explained. The Christian faith knows many mysteries. For example, we worship one God in three persons. The Trinity is a mystery. Jesus the Christ is both 100% God and 100% human. That's the element of mystery that Paul describes in 1 Timothy 3. Another example, the existence of evil when the world was created very good. We can describe it, but we cannot explain it to human satisfaction. So once again, a mystery is something which can be described, but not fully understood or explained. Now, baptism and the Lord's Supper are not just about mysteries. They are mysteries themselves. There's something about them, a substance to them that can be described, but there is also an aspect to them that is incomprehensible. For example, think of the institution of the Lord's Supper by the Lord Jesus, which we read about in Matthew 26. There stands our Savior with a piece of bread in his hand, and he says, this is my body. We might wonder, body? Isn't it just a piece of bread? Did it become flesh? Did it become a piece of meat? No, it didn't change. It remained bread. So why then doesn't Jesus say, this is a symbol of my body? The answer to that is because that's not how sacraments work. The bread of the Lord's Supper is a sign and seal of Christ's body in such a way that it can be called Christ's body. And the same is true for the wine as the blood of Christ. Let's consider the water of baptism. Boys and girls, when a baby is baptized, where do you think the water 
comes from. Well, I can tell you there's no bottle in the kitchen fridge that says holy water for baptism. It actually comes out of the tap. And yet, when we baptize, we baptize into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The water is the sign and seal of God's name in such a way that the water can be called God's triune name. Mysteries, sacraments, realities that can be described but not fully explained. There is a mysterious side to the rites of baptism and Lord's Supper, a reality that we cannot comprehend but is still very true. It is beautifully stated by our Belgic Confession, which says sacraments are visible signs and seals of something internal and invisible by means of which God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Signs and seals. That brings us to our second consideration, the function of sacraments. What do they do? Sacraments are signs. Symbols, if you want a classier term. Sacraments serve as illustrations with the gospel. They are visual, physical aids provided by God. Let me describe it with two examples. Example one, the Bible teaches that humans are sinful. They are covered in sin from tip to toe. We need to take a shower to rinse off. Actually, maybe we need to take a bath to soak off all the dirt, to rid our very souls of our sins. Thankfully, the Bible also teaches that Christ's blood washes all our sins away. That's one thing the water of baptism wants to signify. It wants to illustrate or to symbolize. Just like water washes dirt away from the body, so Christ's blood washes sins away from the soul. Another example, the Bible teaches that after their plunge into sin, humans are no longer capable of doing any good. Even if a human has been set free from evil, if we are left to ourselves, we will fall back into sin. To resist temptation and to do good, the power of the Holy Spirit is needed. Now, in physical life, to have the power to do something, one needs to eat and drink. Just ask someone who has taken part in a 30-hour famine. Eat and drink. That's what we do at the Lord's Supper. Just like bread and wine give energy for this present life, so the Spirit of Christ gives energy to do good unto eternal life. Now, there are more things that the sacraments signify, more that they illustrate or symbolize. We'll touch on this in more detail when we consider the sacraments separately in further Lord's Days. But it is clear that sacraments help us understand some mysteries of the faith, like forgiveness of sins and renewal unto life, better. Think of the sacraments maybe as magnifying glasses that show more detail. Or, maybe a more modern example, like a pop-up on a computer screen. You run your mouse over it, and up pops a window that explains a little more of whatever term you're thinking of. Sacraments are also seals, or a more modern term, signatures. 
Sacraments are a seal of approval attached to the preaching of the gospel. Again, let's illustrate with two examples. Example one, how can you be sure that God is giving you the spirit so that you may live life properly? Without the spirit, it is impossible to do good. So how do you know for sure that the spirit has been given to you? It's baptism which assures us of this. For you have been baptized, among others, into the name of the Holy Spirit, which means that as you desire the Spirit to be at work in you, and as you may be even be wondering about his presence, that he is indeed there. For baptism is God's seal or signature to his promise that the Spirit will dwell in us imparting to us the daily renewal of our lives. Another example. How can you be sure that God forgives all your sins? Without being forgiven, eternal life is not possible. But how do you know for sure that God has forgiven your sins? All of them. It is the Lord's Supper which assures us of this. You are allowed to partake of God's table. You can participate in the meal which speaks volumes about the price of forgiveness. Participating in the Lord's Supper testifies that all your sins have been forgiven. Which means that as you long for forgiveness and purposely join in the celebration, you are forgiven. For the Lord's Supper is God's signature to his promise that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken. And the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Familiar words from the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. As seals or signatures, the sacraments confirm a reality. A reality that is true for you as a person or as an individual. They are given to make realize with all the more conviction that Christ's suffering was also for you. To summarize our second point, sacraments, as signs, they focus our attention on and serve as visual aids for various aspects of the Christian faith. And as seals, they confirm that the gospel promise is true for the participating individual. So now we've come to our third consideration, What are the sacraments about? We've touched on some elements of the sacraments already, and we'll be reviewing things in more detail as we make our way through Lord's Days 26 through 30. For now, let's focus on some general matters. The sacraments are rites of the covenant, of the relationship that God has with us humans. It is about how we are joined to God in covenant, With God. The word covenant is not in common use anymore, but in the days when the Bible was being written, it was an everyday term for a formalized relationship between two people or two parties. A relationship that consisted of promises and obligations. And it came with benefits called blessings and sanctions called curses. While the term is very broad and could mean a treaty or an alliance between two nations, 
God's covenant with humanity is one of love and loyalty. It is a covenant of grace, a covenant of love. Sacraments are actually celebrations of that covenant. And this is where sacraments are different from the word. The preaching of the gospel, the reading of scripture, that's very much a one-way street. God speaks to us. God speaks to everyone. But where the sacraments are concerned, there's an activity by humans as well. Now, to be sure, God still takes the initiative. That's very obvious in baptism. God declares a child to be his covenant child, so there's no consent from the individual's side for this. It's also clear in the Lord's Supper. We come to the celebration at God's invitation. But in the sacraments, there's also the element of human response. For example, in baptism, the person who is baptized is called and obliged to faith and the obedience that comes with faith. God is gracious in that he allows the young to grow into taking ownership of the promises of God. But where the matter concerns older people capable of faith, faith is a prerequisite for baptism. And that's why baptism is to lead to the profession of faith. The element of human response is even more obvious in the Lord's Supper. You come to the table to receive the elements. You eat and drink. Participating in the Lord's Supper is a confirmation of one's commitment to God's covenant. One may even see it as an act of covenant renewal. Because the proclamation of the gospel is a one-way street, and because it is focused not just on strengthening faith, but also on working faith where it does not yet exist, it is proclaimed publicly to all. On the other hand, because the celebration of the sacraments is a two-way street, and because it is focused on strengthening the faith of those in covenant with God, it is limited to the covenant community under the supervision of the elders. Now, there are just two sacraments. One marks the beginning of the covenant, and one marks the continuation of the covenant. The beginning of one's covenant relationship with God is marked by baptism, and the Lord's Supper marks the continuation of that relationship. Since baptism marks the beginning, one should only be baptized once. To repeat one's baptism is to say that God didn't mean it the first time. Where where one's response to God's call to faith is concerned, for that the Lord has given his holy supper. This, by the way, does not begin to happen until one has responded to God's covenant promises laid out in baptism through a public profession of faith. And as the sacraments are signs and seals of God's covenant with his people, they take place in the midst of God's covenant community, the church. Baptism is not a private event or a family event. It's a church event, and thus it happens in a worship service. And this is the same with the Lord's Supper. 
Finally, we come to our fourth consideration, the benefits of the sacraments. This past year, there has been quite some reflection on the necessity of the sacraments. Government restrictions prohibited the kind of in-person gathering required to celebrate the sacraments. There was even a short period of time in this past year when baptisms were not even supposed to take place during a worship service. Thankfully, very soon after, the government became aware that this is an issue for a church like ours and changed the order on that subject. But all this has seen us reflect on the importance of the sacraments. Does it really matter that there is no celebration of the Lord's Supper for a long stretch of time? Can you cancel a Lord's Supper celebration for months and months on end? Does it really matter if the baptism of a baby is postponed? On the one hand, there is the reality that the sacraments are signs and seals. Sacraments are not absolutely necessary unto salvation. But on the other hand, there is the reality of our insensitivity and weakness, by reason of which God has ordained sacraments to seal his promises to us and to be pledges of his goodwill and grace towards us. God is doing something in the sacraments. Can we just say to God, sorry, God, you're going to have to wait a little while now. In the workings or economy of salvation, sacraments play an important role. As the Belgic Confession states, by them God confirms to us the salvation which he imparts to us. Sacraments are visible signs and seals of something internal and invisible, by means of which God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the signs are not void and meaningless so that they deceive us. For Jesus Christ is their truth. Apart from him, they would be nothing. So, again, sacraments are not absolutely necessary unto salvation, the way the sacrifice of Christ or his intercession are. However, they are also not in the same category as a birthday party or a wedding anniversary that could be postponed or even skipped because of various circumstances. Sacraments are crucial to a healthy faith life, both individually and also as a church. This is so true that Peter can speak of baptism saving us in 1 Peter 3. And in 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord Jesus said that the celebration of the Lord's Supper should take place often. Our church order mandates that the Lord's Supper be celebrated at least once every three months. Postponement of the Lord's Supper has been decided to at times in church history, including, for many of us, this past year. But the sacraments cannot be postponed indefinitely. Moreover, given the circumstances in early March, there was an inequality in society as to what various sectors were permitted to do and prohibited from doing. One could eat a meal indoors in a restaurant, but not in a church building. So the the question was rightly asked, why should an inequitable health order overrule our church order? Thankfully, our government has since understood the inequity here and thus made allowance for ceremonial meals during worship. And this occurred even before restaurants were allowed to open for indoor dining. So 
what is the benefit of the sacraments? It is this. It's the personal assurance of belonging to Christ and of receiving his benefits, the forgiveness of sins, the renewal of life, and being part of the people of God. It is, as we will sing later today with Psalm 34, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. It is experiencing personally that God is present in your life, that he is concerned with your well-being, and that he will go with you as you live your life. In short, the sacraments confirm my security in Christ. Where the sacraments are concerned, we've had a difficult year, and we may not be out of the woods yet. The question has also been discussed whether it's truly the Lord's Supper we celebrate if the whole congregation is not present to celebrate at once. This isn't a new question. Churches used to have a practice of celebrating the Lord's Supper, the same Lord's Supper spread over two worship services. That's why we have an abbreviated form for the celebration of Lord's Supper in our Book of Praise for the afternoon service. So dividing the congregation over multiple services has been practiced for years in some churches. Still, the way that we here in Cloverdale celebrated it earlier this year in three separate locations left something to be desired. It was truly a joy when we were able to express and experience our fellowship in just one service. Beloved, don't let the difficult year behind us diminish your appreciation for the sacraments. If anything, let restriction and absence make the heart grow fonder. Appreciate the sacraments and use them. For as we confess with the Canons of Dort in chapter 5, article 14, regarding faith and perseverance, just as it has pleased God to begin the perseverance of the saints as a work of grace in us by the preaching of the gospel, so he maintains, continues, and perfects it by the hearing and reading of his word, by meditation on it, by its exhortations, threats, and promises, and by the use of the sacraments. Amen.
now with the Church of All Ages, confess our Catholic faith using the words of Hymn 1. We now have the opportunity to express gratitude to the Lord with our gifts. And as we do contemplate our giving, let's consider also these words of Scripture put to rhyme in Psalm 34. I'll read from the book of praise. All you who are his saints, revere the Lord and worship him. For those who fear him have no want. He richly blesses them. Though lions may grow faint and pangs of hunger may endure, those seeking him lack no good thing. In him, they rest secure. After the uh, offering is taken, we'll sing those words, Psalm 34, verse 3 and 4. 
As we come before our Father in prayer, we'll remember the needs of his church locally, uh, nationally, and also around the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of the sacraments. We thank you for your love and care, how you not only bring us to faith, but also cause us to persevere in the faith. Have us rejoice in your love and mercy and make use of the instruments you give us. Have us understand the sacraments well to the extent that we can understand these mysteries. May the sacraments indeed give us a sense of security where belonging to Christ is concerned, not only when a sacrament is administered, but throughout our lives. Lord, we pray be with your church wherever it is found in this world and in whatever circumstances your people find themselves. Today, we especially think of the people of Haiti who have dealt with civil unrest and recent natural disasters. Guide your own. Keep them safe. Keep them true to your word, true in their practice of love and loyalty. Ruler Supreme, be with our society here in Canada. Bless our nation, also as Canadians prepare to express express their will in the upcoming federal election. We thank you for the opportunities in our nation to express our opinion freely and to dialogue respectfully with those who disagree with us. May this freedom of speech and thought continue even in the midst of worrying developments that threaten this freedom. Grant that your truth may be spoken also in the public square by those who seek to serve you in public office. We especially pray for members of our own churches, locally and across the country, who are willing and able to serve in this way. Grant them courage and perseverance in this election period. And if it is your will to place them in office, may they serve both you and our country well. This afternoon, we were reminded of the restrictions that were placed on worship by the civil authorities during this last year. We thank you, Lord, that we are currently able to worship publicly without restriction. But as we look at the recent headlines, it may be that these struggles are not over. We pray that you will grant our governments a heart of wisdom to do what is right, not by the opinion of the majority, but by you as the creator and sustainer of all things. Have our authorities at all levels understand how they are first of all accountable to you and convince them of the reality that one day, you will also bring them into judgment. Bless us, Heavenly Father, in the week that lies before us. Be with the teachers among us as they begin to prepare for the upcoming school year. Bless all of us in the home and in the workplace and out and about in society, also on our travels. Bless us in all our duties and have us rejoice in all of our activities. Have us find purpose and joy in doing what you would have us do. 
All this we pray of you as for because we know that as Almighty God, you are able to do even more than we think possible. And as caring Father, all your intentions are with us always. Hear us for the sake of Christ. Amen. As we come to the close of worship, let's open our psalm books once again. Let's turn to Psalm 48. And we'll sing standing, stanzas 3 and 4. Congregation, as we go from here, be comforted with the Lord's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.